Thank you, son. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Well, as you've already heard, we're planning on uh, baptizing a few folks here today. So this morning, I'd like to talk about why Christians get baptized. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, many of you have a clear understanding already of why you would allow a couple of other people to dunk you under water, trusting that they'll let you up again when they have the opportunity to hold you under and send you straight to heaven. But although the Bible clearly teaches to die is gain, bringing, bringing people up out of the water to live another day actually holds true to what wa uh, water baptism represents. So, uh, as we'll see this morning. But we're going to give you an opportunity to get baptized uh, at the end of the service today. So we want to not only alleviate any fears you may have about that, but more importantly, if, you, if you've never been baptized, we want you to fully understand the whys behind baptism. To begin with, I'd like to read a story in the Bible about a man who was eager to get baptized. He is what I would call a sincere seeker. He was sincerely seeking the truth and answers to the big questions of life. He was sincerely searching the scriptures with an open mind, and he was sincerely seeking the God of the Bible. But he needed someone to help him. So God sent someone to share the truth with this man, and as we'll see in a moment, the man believed what he heard. And as a result, his heart was changed, and then he was eager to get baptized. And once he did, he went away rejoicing. So let's read the story together for a moment in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Would you stand, by the way, for the reading of God's word if you're, if you're able? Acts 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with, with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. 
and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azatas, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for the word of God, which is so available to us. And we thank you for recording this story that has many things to show us about what it means to believe the truth, to respond to you, Lord, and to be baptized. So teach us this morning, once again, the significance of all of these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so this story is a wonderful picture of what leads up to a Christian getting baptized. We're not told anything about what influenced this man from Ethiopia for him to go all the way from North Africa to Jerusalem to worship God. But I suggest this may have been the last time that he did this. Because this time, he became a true worshiper uh, that Jesus said God is looking for. Jesus explained this to the woman at the well recorded in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the man from Ethiopia became a true worshiper that day, who from that point on did not need to go back to Jerusalem to worship God because he found the new and living way for all people everywhere to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he was eager, as it says, to get baptized. So baptism is an act of obedience that signifies and declares what you believe who you identify with, what he's done for you, and your commitment to follow him. Again, this story is a wonderful picture of what leads up to a Christian getting baptized. And if you're here today and you, you can identify with this man in our story, but you've never been baptized, then as we said, we want to give you an opportunity this morning. So let's look at what the Bible teaches and what leads up to a person getting baptized and what is pictured in our story this morning. First, as I said, I, the man from Ethiopia is what I would call a sincere seeker. He was sincerely seeking the God of the Bible. He was sincerely seeking the God of the Jews, who at the appointed times worshipped God in Jerusalem at the temple. So this man came with thousands of others at this appointed time, thousands of others that were just like him, to worship God. And how does a person then become a sincere seeker of the one true God? To become a sincere seeker, it begins with what the Bible calls repentance. You can't be a sincere seeker of God like the man in our story unless you have first repented. To repent means you have made a decision. You've made a radical choice. It's a decision you made after realizing that you haven't been seeking God, but you've been seeking something else. This was also pointed out by Jesus in his conversation with the woman at the well when she came out to draw water. 
Jesus referred to the water in the well as a metaphor representing all the things found in the world that we seek after. All the things we can chase after, believing they will give us significance or worth or value or meaning or happiness. They are the things in the world that we love and that we can trust in instead of God himself. They, they become the idols of our hearts, like fame, fortune, money, power, popularity, prestige, possessions, sensuality. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He said, I have come to give you life, and that more abundantly. So he said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up to everlasting life. So again, the man from Ethiopia went all the way from, uh, to Jerusalem because I believe he had repented. He had changed his mind. He had made a different choice. He gave up seeking all of those things that left him empty and thirsty. Repentance also means he stopped ignoring his conscience. His conscience that judged him every time he lied or cheated or stole to get what he wanted. And he turned sincere, to sincerely seeking the God of the Bible. It's no doubt that he came to understand that the God of the Holy Scriptures was nothing like all the other gods that could be worshipped in that day. As he read the Old Testament Scriptures with an open mind, no doubt he read that the God of the Jews revealed himself as a holy God. A God that commanded his people to be like him. To live differently than those who worshipped idols. To belong to him meant to be, be a people who cared for the stranger and the widow and the orphan. It meant, meant to be a people who were commanded not to steal or to murder or to lie or to covet what your neighbor had. But to be content and thankful and generous. If the man from Ethiopia read far enough, he would come to understand that the God of the Jews was a God who wanted them to be in a loving relationship with him. And he wanted them to love him with all of their heart and their mind and their strength. And to trust him as a God who is faithful and righteous and good. One such place he may have read about this is Exodus 34 that says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So to a large degree, the Bible is God's resume. Over and over, God reveals his nature and character to us in the scriptures, saying, this is who I am. The one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. And he repeatedly said through the prophets, I am the Lord your God, besides me there is no other. 
The man in our story may have read the Psalms as well, like Psalm 19 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And it was about to be written shortly after this story by the Apostle Paul in Romans. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It goes on to say that those who refuse to repent, who continue to seek and love the things of this world instead of the God of creation, that they are suppressing the truth. And they do so because they refuse to change their minds. And instead of worshiping God who has revealed himself by what he created, they worship the false gods of this world, the created things. And they love more the temporary pleasures that will ultimately leave them empty. If that describes you this morning, you must make a different choice. You must change your mind and become like the man in our story who decided to sincerely seek the living God, who loves you and wants you to be in a loving relationship with him and to be with him for all eternity to enjoy his glory. To find him and to know him and to receive eternal life from him, you must repent and begin sincerely seeking him. The prophet Isaiah also said in chapter 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon because if you, won't, you won't find him by drinking from the wells of this world. You won't find him by worshiping other gods. You won't find him by pursuing your selfish ambitions. You won't find him as long as you're suppressing the truth and in love with this world. You will only find him if you repent. And if you seek him with all of your heart. And because God is holy, you must be reconciled and brought into a right relationship with him and ultimately be restored to his original design and to his likeness. Why do we say you must be saved and reconciled to God and restored to his likeness? Genesis tells us that we were all created in the image of God. This means we reflect God's image. We reflect God's nature. But God's original creation and design has been broken. It has been corrupted. Man has fallen and his original humanity and nature has been marred. And God has declared that that sinful nature is condemned to death. It all happened when the first man went his own way and through his choice he turned away from God. He looked to his own selfish interest even choosing to be his own God. Again, this fallen nature and brokenness has been passed on to all people ever since. The Bible says we are now all born in sin, alienated and separated from God, who is holy. And there's plenty of evidence of this brokenness and fallenness, isn't there? 
No one ever needed to teach us to be selfish. I never had to teach my grandchildren to say mine and take, take the toy away from their cousins. Or to respond with a defiant, no, Papa. I get that from time to time. I never had to sit, sit them down and say, okay, sweetie, I, I'm going to teach you how to throw a tenter tantrum. Okay? Listen very carefully. Never had to teach them that. It all seems to come quite naturally. And it still does for all of us. The evidence of this fallen and broken brokenness is overwhelming. And it ought to be compelling you to repent and to turn to God. The evidence is all the brokenness that you and I live with every day. Broken hearts, broken relationships, our guilt, our shame, grief and pain. The evidence of our brokenness and fallenness is seen in the temptation that rises up within us to, to take what doesn't belong to us or to deceive or to conspire or to blame or to control or to use and abuse or to cheat or to indulge or to get revenge. It's a nasty list, isn't it, for all of us. This is why Paul reminded the Christians who had repented and who had been baptized to live a life that was worthy of God's calling and, and not to return to their former ways. He said in Ephesians, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have been given themselves over to lewdness and to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, repentance means acknowledging the truth instead of suppressing it. It means being honest with God about your fallenness and your brokenness and all the sinful choices you're responsible for that are inconsistent with the nature and character of God. 1 John 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. And the truth, his word is not in us. Honest confession is what is necessary if you want to join the man in our story who got baptized that day and went away rejoicing. He was a sincere seeker of the living God who had repented of his fallenness and of his brokenness and his waywardness he sought to know the God who created him, who is holy and righteous and just, a God who invites all to come to him and receive the living water of everlasting life. What happened next in our story that led to this man wanting to eagerly be baptized was his response to the good news of what God had done for him, making a loving relationship with him possible. 
first, I think we can safely con- conclude that Philip explained the truth about the, his need to be reconciled to God. And because God is holy and righteous and just, our sinfulness leaves us condemned and destined to be eternally separated from him in a place where we will continually experience the just penalty for our sin. Because God is just, justice must be served for all. Because all are guilty. As it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God who loves you and wants you to be with him for all eternity has provided the solution. And this is the gospel message. This is the good news. And there are verses in the Bible that capsulize this good news. And they just hit the nail on the head. As many of you know, like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So notice what the man in our story said after Philip shared the gospel with him and it says he preached Jesus to him that the man said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have a sincere seeker who had repented toward God and after hearing what God had done to make a relationship with him possible, And that reconciliation and a right relationship with him comes through repentance and by faith. The man said, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he was eager to be baptized. And Philip said, you may, if you believe with all your heart. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then the Apostle Paul describes what happened that day in Romans chapter 10. He writes, how then shall they call on him in whom they have believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring the glad tidings of good news. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I think it's important for us to pay attention to the details of this story because it teaches the truth about baptism and how it, and how it is connected to our faith and to the gospel. Our sincere seeker who had repented toward God heard the good news of the gospel He put his faith in Jesus Christ, and then he got baptized. So what did he hear? He had heard from Philip that God had provided the way of salvation. God had done all that was necessary for him to be forgiven of his sins, to be reconciled to God. 
to receive God's gift of eternal life, to begin a loving relationship with him, and to begin to be restored back to his likeness. So what had God done? It says Philip began with the verses from the book of Isaiah. Now he could have said to the, to the Ethiopian man, oh, you can put those old scrolls away. Let me just tell you what, what has just happened in Jerusalem. No. Instead, he began where the man was at, with the prophecies that were written thousands of years, excuse me, hundreds of years beforehand. The writer of Hebrews commented on the Old Testament scriptures and said, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, but he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So those verses in Isaiah are like many others throughout the Old Testament where through the prophets God told us beforehand what would happen. God told us beforehand that he would send his son into the world. He told us what would happen to him. And he told us what would be accomplished by his death and his burial and his resurrection. Bible scholars have found at least 300 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The one God promised to send into the world. The the one the Jews called the Messiah. And Jesus, born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth some 2,000 years ago, fulfilled every one of those prophecies precisely, to the T. The odds of one person doing that are astronomical. Again, the evidence is overwhelming and ought to be compelling for you to repent toward God and believe in the one whom he has sent. Only a person who was fully man and fully God could fulfill the scriptures. Now, many a man has wanted to be God, or become a God, but this is impossible. What was necessary was for God to become a man. In the Gospel of Luke, he writes what Mary told him, that an angel had come to her and said, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. And that's why Christians all over the world will celebrate once again the coming of Jesus Christ and the incarnation of Christ again this Christmas. But Philip began with this prophecy regarding, he began with a prophecy regarding the suffering and death of Christ from Isaiah 53, where the man from Ethiopia was reading. Again, he was reading, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So through the prophet Isaiah, God told us beforehand that he would send his son into the world. And his first coming was not to reign as king of kings, not yet. 
But his first coming was to die for the sins of the world. Like the spotless lamb, the Israelites were commanded by God to sacrifice and shed its blood to escape judgment. It foreshadowed who Jesus is and what he would become for all of us. John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, did you know that one of the few books that was found in its entirety in the dead, among the Dead Sea Scrolls was the book of Isaiah? It had been a fresh copy, word for word, that was made in the first century A.D., originally written by the prophet some 700 years before Christ came. And now on display in the museum in Israel. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. And not only is it a historical fact that a man named Jesus from Nazareth was crucified by the Romans outside of Jerusalem in 33 AD, but there were many witnesses that saw him die. And hundreds more that saw him alive again after he arose the third day, they saw him together, alive, risen. But the greatest proof may be the eyewitnesses who willingly gave their lives rather than deny the truth and rather than deny their faith in him. Again, the evidence is overwhelming and it ought to be compelling for you to repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world according to the scriptures. He died according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. Why is he called the Lamb of God who takes away our sin? Because it took a sinless man to die in our place and to satisfy the justice and wrath of God. Only that man could pay the price you and I could never pay. His life and his blood were an atoning sacrifice. How that price was paid was prophesied also through Isaiah some 700 years beforehand. It's most likely, most likely what the man in our story had just read because these verses come right before where he was reading in Isaiah. Verses 3 through 6, it says of, of Jesus Christ, he, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now Isaiah has, had also wrote, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the scriptures clearly teach that there is one God. One God who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, The Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son. John also called Jesus the Word of God. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the things were made through him, 
excuse me, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become the children of God, those who believe in his name. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer of Hebrews expands on the identity of Christ by saying, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, the man from Ethiopia said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He went from repentance to a sincere seeker, to a true believer, to an eager beaver, to get baptized, right? Eager to get baptized. He believed in the true identity of Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible says believe, it means more than just accepting something as being true. It means to fully trust in and rely on it being true because your life depends on it. And that's what Philip said to him, you may be baptized if you believe with all your heart. In other words, if your faith is genuine, if your faith is sincere, and to believe with all your heart means you're no longer trusting in anything else to save your soul. Not your performance, not your good works, not your religious rituals, not even baptism. But you're trusting in Christ alone who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus described what God will do for you when you believe in him with all your heart. He said there will be such a radical change, a permanent transformation that's described in, in various ways in the scriptures. For example, he said you will be born again by the Holy Spirit. You will be born from above. Other places it says you will go from darkness to light. From spiritual deadness to being made alive together with Christ. You will become a new creation. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. And your sins will be forgiven. And you will become predestined to be changed to being like Christ. To being restored to God's original design. To the wholeness of original humanness. This is what happened for the man from Ethiopia. How do we know? We know because of his testimony. We know because he was eager to get baptized. I mean, who does that? And because he was filled with joy. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So all that Jesus accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection 
was appropriated and became true for this man the moment he put his faith in Christ. This is why Jesus commanded all his followers to be baptized. This was also taught and practiced by the apostles who were eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection. Because baptism, again, is an act of obedience and a public declaration that testifies to who you believe. Who you believe in, who you identify with, how he's changed your life, and your commitment to follow him. And if you have confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you should get baptized. When you go under the water, you identify with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. The Bible says who became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Your sin is then imputed to him. It was judged and condemned and put to death. This is what happened for you who believe in him. Your sinful self died with him. So one part of baptism is, is, is like attending your own memorial service. Can you imagine? How weird would that be? Imagine attending your own memorial service. Picture people are already gathered, you know, and you're, the, the, the slideshow is already going on. And you walk in late in the back and go, hey, everybody, that was me. That's me on the screen. That was my old self, my old sinful self. Don't be sad. It had to die for me to, be, to have this new life. That old self had to die. So we're not grieving. We're celebrating. And that death takes place faster than it takes us to dunk you under the water. It happens the moment you believe in him. That's why we don't need to hold you under. And just as Jesus was raised in glory and resurrected life, you too were raised in him, signified by coming out of the water. You were raised with him the moment you believed and were saved. And that's why we are quick, quick to bring you back up again, because it pictures your new self that rose up to the newness of life. So, who wants to get baptized? Are you eager, like the Ethiopian, who said when he saw the opportunity, what hinders me from getting baptized? Our response to that question is the same as that of Philip that day. You may, if you believe, with all of your heart. Now, some of you have been planning on getting baptized. You've been planning on this day for some time because you've already believed. But there might be someone here today who has not yet accepted Christ. You've not yet received him into your life. You've not yet asked him to forgive you and to save your soul from the condemnation of sin. If that's you, I'd like to pray with you now and give you an opportunity to be baptized. Because we, we have... Even baptismal clothes you can change into. Nothing holy about them, but they, you know, something you can keep your clothes dry if you'd like. So would you pray with me right now? Let's have every head bowed. Let's pray. And again, if, if you'd like to accept Christ, you can pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I confess all of my sin to you now. I also know that you are the Savior. The Savior has come into the world who died for me and rose again to give me eternal and everlasting life. Lord, please come into my heart. Come into my life. Save my soul. Write my name in your book of life. Receive me unto yourself. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if uh, you've prayed that prayer, we invite you to be baptized. And like the Ethiopian, he was eager to, eager to get baptized. But it's not okay to be overly eager. And we, we have a short video we'd like to show you to, that explains what we mean by that. Savior and as his Lord and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time. <laughs> and so Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that, that is overly eager, okay, overly eager. But if you want to get baptized this morning, please make your way over the, to the door over here. They will show you where you can get changed uh, during this next song. Let's, let's worship together.